Welcome everyone to Making Lider Move. Welcome to the end of season three. This is going to be our last episode. And I am so, so honored to have had you be with us from the beginning of not only this season, but season one. Um, hopefully you were able to get a lot of information, a lot of healing, and a lot of knowledgeable resources and tools that we have been able to give out to you for season three. Today on Making Leader Moves, I am so, so excited to close out with um, our guest, Ebony. And just to put a disclaimer, neither our guest, Ebony, nor myself are medical professionals. We are having a conversation on how we personally manage our chronic conditions and or disabilities. So please seek medical and or professional help if you do not feel well or if you feel you might have a medical condition yourself. On today's show, we are going to talk to Ebony on the subject of autism, or also known as Asperger's. But before we begin, I do want to give you an intro on who Ebony is. Ebony is a highly accomplished curriculum and instructional coach, freelancer, copy editor, and body contourist. She's also an aspiring writer working on young adult novel series, focusing on a diverse group of African-American youth as well as her own memoir about the intersectionality of her life as a neurodiverse woman of color raised in poverty. Hello, Ebony. Welcome to Making Leader Moves. I'm so excited to have you on the show. I'm so excited to close the season speaking on a topic that I feel recently has gotten more attention over the years, but sometimes it's still complicated for the people of color community to navigate. Um, so I'm so excited to hear your journey and your stories and your experiences. I know I talked about uh, professionally who you are, but we would love to just start deep diving into your story and let us know how you were diagnosed with Asperger's, um, also commonly known as autism. How did you become aware that you had autism? Okay, wow. Well, so this is going to be a really deep dive. Um, <laughs> so I I have Asperger's syndrome, which is on the autism spectrum. Um, a lot of people don't realize that like autism is a spectrum and like everybody on it is different. So Asperger's kind of falls on the higher end mm -hmm. of the spectrum, which pretty much means that I can function and people with Asperger's, most people with Asperger's function, um, like most neurotypical people, um, we of course have a couple of tweaks or things, but it's kind of hard to, um, I guess, clock us, if you would, um, in the neurotypical world, but we still struggle. But um, yeah, I found out that I had autism. Um, I was a late diagnosis, like most women and most women of color. Um, I was 28 years old. And oh, wow. so, yeah, I was pretty old. Um, it's pretty new. I think I just celebrated like my 11th year autism anniversary. But um, hmm. so it is pretty new. Like, I think I want to start that idea. You That's should totally celebrate your identity anniversaries. Um, so it's a thing. Like, and I kind of, it's like a before life, past life thing. But I was in a faculty meeting. I'm an educator. Mm -hmm. And our um, school psychometrist was talking to us about like this new thing called autism and like we need to watch out for the kids because they're going to display this, they're going to have that. And I was just like, that's not a new, like that's not a thing, like that's how everyone is because that's how I was. And so right. I didn't 
think that it was anything different or new. And I was like, what is she talking about? Um, mm-hmm. Fast forward like a year later, I ended up working at a coworker whose son did have Asperger's. Um, and he was a, he was 12, I think. And so she would just like in the venting session, like, oh, he's doing this thing or this is happening. And I could totally relate to what he had going on. And I'd be like, well, why don't you do this? Or maybe it's this. And so one day she was like, you know, maybe you have Asperger's too. And I was like, you know, mm. maybe I do. So um, the thing about people who are older, when you realize or whatever, it's very hard to diagnose as an adult. Really? Um, so yeah, it's really hard um, because a lot of the symptoms or things that we have also look like trauma also look like PTSD also look like anxiety or depression so it's really really hard to diagnose which is why like early diagnosis as a baby is really important um but typically in our communities we don't really get the diagnoses that we need um a lot of times the boxes that we check off go into especially for like black males it would be like defiance or ADHD or something like that, which also sometimes coincides with autism. So a lot of times we don't get the diagnosis we need early. So it's very hard once you're an adult and also if you're female to Mm -hmm. be diagnosed. I had no idea that that some of the symptoms or traits, if you will, of Asperger's are also, like you had mentioned, the other ones, PTSD. Um, etc. And so, especially if you have a doctor that's only going through the checklist, if you will. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, they're not going to spend that time or get to also explore what other options there might be out there available for you. So I do see the importance of, and also the importance of getting diagnosed when you're young, you're able to manage um, a, a lot, yeah, like a lot more. And I think that's something that you and I are going to be able to talk about later is just when you're diagnosed so into your adulthood, um, it, it's almost like a light bulb, but it's also like, man, I wonder how it, it it's sad that you kind of think like, man, I wonder how my life would have been if I would have been Definitely. diagnosed at a younger age, but you can't go in the past. Um, you grieve that for a little bit, but you have to move forward because if not, you'll be stuck in that depressive state or that sad state or that what would have happened or could have this could something else have worked out better for me and it's just like you don't want to waste your energy and time doing that you just want to move forward um okay so when you finally got diagnosed um it was at the doctor's office how did that doctor's visit go i know when you and i spoke a little bit um it's funny because you were the only person who had a different point of view throughout all of the visitors on this season. Um, everyone was like, yeah, I was relieved. I, I was, you know, it was the validation and you came with a great perspective. So I would love for you to share that with our listeners. Um, yeah, no, I think initially I was relieved and I was like, oh, I am not this weird anomaly. Like this is a thing and other people have this and I'm going to be okay. And what I was looking for when I was initially diagnosed was like a pill or something yeah. that was going to make me normal or like I wouldn't have to suffer with these things. But um, there is no pill. It's, it was kind of like, this is just who you are. And mm-hmm. you kind of have to be this way. So I actually went into a very deep depression, like you mentioned. 
Um, and I kind of like, I think it was like two years where I kind of just mourned and was like, like, what do I do now? Mm. Um, and that was really difficult. But also, um, I liken it to in my book that I'm literally writing about myself. It was like meeting yourself again, mm. like a whole other version of yourself. So like you're meeting yourself for your first for the first time as an adult. And now you have all this background knowledge about all these things that were going on in your life or like that you felt or thought. And now there's a reason why. So it was definitely a process in adjusting to it, not just for myself, but I'm married. So like my husband adjusting to this and it just it's been a thing. I think that's really interesting to think about it that way, because I didn't think about it that way. But it's such a great point of view of mourning yourself um, and you giving yourself that space. And even though two years is a long, it's a long time when you're not in a good space. Um, when you're doing great, you're like, oh, two years, that felt like a week. Um, but when you're in the thick of it, it's it's a long time. Um, so while you were going through, uh, through that, well, I guess we can ask that later for the community questions. Um, but you had just finished saying that there is no cure for it, um, that you wanted to have some type of pill, um, to, to be like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to go to sleep like sleeping beauty, wake up, whole new persona, um, be quote unquote cured. Once you did the morning on that part, how are you managing now your autism? Is it more like a day by day? Do you try to make weekly adjustments, quarterly adjustments? How does how does the managing of knowing something that is incurable look like for you? Um, I guess first acknowledging that like I don't need to be cured. And mm. that was something like that I struggled with and like people still struggle with it. and I get very angry like when people say like they're looking for a cure for autism I'm like there's actually nothing wrong with us um we just experience the world a little bit differently than other people so acknowledging that first like there's nothing wrong and you don't need to be cured like you're fine um and then it just kind of comes with knowing yourself knowing um your boundaries I personally have um, a lot of sensory sensitivities, like light, sound, things like that. So um, in my office, people joke all the time, it's always dark, but like fluorescent lighting is a trigger for me. Um, mm -hmm. I cannot deal with bright lights at all. It's it's horrible um, and it affects me physically, but also like mentally. So my office is always dark and like people come around they're like, you are always in the dark, but like that's how I like cope. That's one thing for me that I need. Um, I also like loud noises, things like that really trigger me um, and drain me. So like just knowing yourself and acknowledging and giving yourself like what you need all the time. Um, in my friend group, like they used to like to go out to clubs and party. And before I was diagnosed, I wanted to like be with my friends and I wanted to go out to clubs and party. But I also was like, this is not the scene for me like this is I would it's like a joke it was a running joke that like I would be stone-faced in the club and everyone else is like smiling and happy and I'm just sitting there like nope yeah but it, and it didn't serve you it doesn't it serve didn't. you and you we were talking about like the fluorescent light and the loud noise that is what a club is it's the neon fluorescent lighting it's the like going off all the time too it's not just like staying in one spot mm -hmm. these lights are moving all around 
the bass, I mean, some of these clubs oh are so God. loud that the bass, you can feel it within your own body. So if anything, it sounded like, and again, because you're trying to be part of your community and you're trying to fit in, but you didn't have the diagnoses, you had to have been like, what's wrong with me? Yeah. Why do I not? Like, not only were you miserable, but at this point, you're even questioning your humanity and being like, why, why am I the only one like this? Like, why, why is everyone freely planning <laughs> to go to the club every week? I'm excited about this, and I'm just like, no, it's not. Is there any, is there a museum we can go to somewhere quiet? Like, that, <laughs> that's where I was. I was like, eh. I love that. Um, can we go to museum? And you know what? Shout out to the museums. Um, we have museums. <laughs> yes. So you mentioned the fluorescent lighting. You mentioned um, the 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 loud noises that 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 triggers you. And then we talked about clubs versus museums. Are there any other tips or tricks that you use to manage? with to manage your um Asperger's yeah um a lot of people with Asperger's and autism I think just people in general stem and stemming is um any type of physical movement um repetitive movement something you might need to touch whatever to help ground yourself um calm yourself down and I stem all the time um and I've always done it and again things that you never realize that you've done your whole life um that are part of this diagnosis. So um, I guess I stem a lot, a lot of people, and like freely let yourself do that. If you need a fidget, if you need, like I currently have like this little ball that has other little balls in it. And it's just a sensory thing for me to touch and feel and squeeze. And so like give yourself space to be you and give yourself the things that you need to be you. It really helps on a day-to-day basis. Yeah. Um... I think, and I think you're right. It's the knowing yourself and knowing what's good for you and knowing what's not good for you and honoring that and being, and being truthful to yourself. Um, Like you, you know what you need, you know, what helps you. And I think it's great that you didn't, you didn't even know that you were doing those things, that that was you managing without even having the diagnoses. Um, And that just goes to show you that humans are a lot smarter than what they make themselves out to be at times. Um, Like you knew what you needed to do for yourself before you had even gotten this diagnosis. So that's amazing. Mm -hmm. Your body definitely knows what you need. Um, So here we like to reframe failures. I think as entrepreneurial women, we have to take on a lot. You're the CEO, you do the social media marketing, you're the HR, uh, you have to go out and network in order to either create more buzz or more business or more awareness about your business. Um, And obviously with someone who has a chronic condition, some days are rough, some days are unbearable. Uh, there's about an average of two to three days where I can't get out of bed a month yep. due to my chronic condition. Um, so there have been times that I've had to cancel meetings with potential clients, um, not hit a deadline that I really thought I was going to be able to hit. And I've learned to reframe it as not seeing it as a failure, but honoring my body yeah. and honoring 
that it's okay to not be okay. And it's okay to not be productive in a society that makes you feel that if you are not productive, you ain't shit. Um, (laughs) so what would be an instance that you personally had where you quote unquote had a failure, but you've been able to reframe it and being like, no, I'm actually a warrior. Um, I'm badass and it's okay to not always quote unquote win. Um, I think, I think I, I think I fail every day, honestly, (laughs) but I've gotten so I'm so vocal and so about who I am and Mm -hmm. whenever I like start a new job or whatever I tell people like look I have Asperger's and this is what this is how it's going to affect you this is how it affects me Mm -hmm. and like I just let them know off top like this is what it is for me and so some days I may be like this or I may say something that is offensive to you because I don't always understand people's feelings or how what I say would offend you. But mm-hmm. if I do, please tell me so that I can, because that's the part of the thing that I'm trying to do. So I'm always just like very vocal now about my needs and what is really going on with me. And I think that's helpful, but also working in education, mm. I feel like I'm able to advocate for other people, for students. Um, for, I've always chosen to work in schools that are, 99% um, Black or Hispanic, and being able to advocate for those students who we often see are overly disciplined mm. um, because of the ways that they're behaving, but it may just be a symptom of what they have going on. So being able to advocate for kids, um, giving them tools, um, a lot of them will say, like, I have ADHD, and it's like this negative connotation for them. And I'm like, actually, I do too. I have autism and ADHD. And we talk about that and it makes them feel like free to be able to see like I'm an adult and I'm thriving and I'm successful. And I also have this thing. So I don't know that like for me, that is my reframing. That's my joy all the time with it. Um, That's a major win. The fact that you are brave enough and have the courage to let people know, hey, I'm going to mess up. It's just part of who I am. There's certain things that I can't pick up on, but let me know. It's not that, like you were saying, like, I'm not trying to be mean. It's, this is just who I am. So the let's have a dialogue. Let's have open communication. And you, you start off that communication. So that's great. But like the unremarkable win is you being a live prime example to these students because it's absolutely true um they do you know especially in the inner cities if you're a stu- if you're a teacher in the in the inner cities like the over discipline for students of color is just it's it's out of this world um but for you it's yeah but for you to say like it's okay and have them already change their mindset at such a young age because they come in thinking that there's something wrong with them or yeah. that they, that, that acting up is just acting like, that's just a, a who they are. And exactly. you're letting them know like, Hey, listen, I have this. It's okay. We all have our bad days. Um, but you can still thrive. You can still be the leader that you want to be. Don't let this stop you. And I think that's amazing that 
these children who come in with such negative connotations of themselves. And I can't even imagine the self-esteem issues that they come in with and you turning that around for them and giving them the space to succeed and the space to be themselves and the space to be that it's okay to not be okay is just my gosh like <laughs> kudos to you that's it's that's like you're like you're a superhero i try and i mean i i also want to i want people to have acceptance and empathy for other people so i think recently with my eighth grade students we did a whole unit on like multiple intelligences and neurodiversity and they read and learned about different ways that you can be intelligent or different ways that your brains are. We read books about people who had all these different neurodiverse um, conditions and I'm hoping that it brought awareness and I'm hoping that it made them feel seen and heard, mm -hmm. but also like have empathy and acceptance for other people. Oh, I love it. I love it. Um, thank you for doing the work. Thank you for being a superhero. Thank you for reframing these kids minds from going to I'm not good enough to I'm different that's okay but I can still win in yeah. this world and in my lifetime um so you're you're their community I try to be you're their community and now we're going to talk about what your community is so when you finally got diagnosed um at the age of 28 how, one, did you let your community know? And two, how did they react? Um, I don't know. I'm just a very, and maybe it's the Asperger's, maybe it's the autism. I just kind of say things and mm -hmm. they kind of land where they land. Um, and so I, I said like, hey, I have Asperger's. It's part of autism. It's not a new thing. It's who I've been my whole life because I, people really don't understand it. So I didn't want them to feel like it was like a new diagnosis of something that I contracted from somewhere or something. Mm -hmm. So there was that. And I think um, my parents and my immediate family, like my mom, my dad, my brothers, being black and um, being in the generation that they grew up in, it just exactly. mental health is not a thing. Mm -hmm. So me saying, hey, I have autism, I have Asperger's was kind of like, and their reaction was like, oh, no, like, don't claim that, like, you're fine, just don't acknowledge it. I was like, yeah, no, that's not um, how it works. I, mm -hmm. it's who I am. And so um, I think like, that's just kind of their stance. They don't really understand it. And we kind of just don't talk about it. But um, my husband, who is pretty much my community was really, really um, an advocate for me and had, it's still an advocate for me um, when it comes to like my energy levels, because if I'm mm. out and I'm around people, I'm drained. And so like giving me the space to like sleep for hours when I need to, um, or if I need to like not be around loud, he likes action movies and that is really triggering to me. So like, I'm like space to go in another room and like, hey, I can't watch this or hey, I can't do this. And um, certain foods I have the textures, I have things with textures. So like certain mm -hmm. foods and things like that. He's really just understanding of like whatever I have going on. 
Yeah, you had mentioned um, earlier with the di with the diagnoses and then how you were mourning and grieving and in a depressive state for two years that he was there supporting yeah. you that whole time. Um, how so obviously, right, he, he gave he gives you space. How did he show up for you when you were in that depressive Ooh. black hole mode? Yeah, because that's. When you, when you have, and whether it's, you know, a husband, a partner, a best friend, and, and you're in the thick of it and they stick, I think it's the sticking with you. That's it's the sticking. It's sticking. Um, I think I felt like for those two years, I was literally on autopilot. Like there were mm -hmm. only a certain amount of things that I can do. And those are the things that I was doing. Like I can get up, I can eat and I can go to work and I can come home. And at that time, our son was, oh, he may have been like two or three. So he was a toddler. Um, mm -hmm. And so my husband kind of just took on everything household wise, like laundry, cooking, like taking care of our son, like everything. He just kind of picked it up on his shoulders and like did it for mm -hmm. how long I needed because I just, I couldn't. Yeah. How did, uh, shout out to your husband, by the yeah. way, for, for being such a great support uh, system for you and, and, and being with you in that tough time, because it's very easy for people to just leave mm -hmm. um, when you're going through it. You, I've, I've had people leave when, I, when I've been in the thick of my depression and it's sad and it's sad because you're you're already in the thick of it and then on top of that you no longer have that relationship anymore so you have to grieve the relationship on top of the, the black or gray cloud that you have how were you able to get out of that zone um i actually started therapy which is i think everybody should have therapy whether you have autism or not like just your life it's hard and you need therapy. It should just um, be an automatic at this point. It should, and it should be free because listen, thank you. I know I've I've probably bought a yacht with all my therapy bills. <laughs> it's it's expensive, but yeah, it therapy is. really helped. And um, especially with like the early part of the diagnosis. So the therapist I was going to was like, okay, let's like break this down and mm -hmm. let's see where you are and where you aren't so um the other part of it is that like a lot of people push on to you what they think you should be like when you have autism um and so unlearning that unlearning like who i actually am as opposed to like the stigma and the stereotypes mm. was a really big thing um and so understanding like that a lot of the things that were pushed onto me as a person with autism was based on research done on white males um, from people who did not have the lived experience of being autistic. So I was like, they actually don't know what they're talking about and like processing that in therapy and talking about like, no, actually I do understand feelings. That, and it wasn't that because of common misconceptions that people with autism don't have a wide spectrum of feelings or don't understand feelings when in actuality for me I feel them really deeply so mm -hmm. 
it's a lot for me. Like, it's always, like, over. Like, if someone else is sad, like, I'm bawling with you, and I don't even know why you're sad, but I'm crying, and I feel all of it, too. So, um, just being able to be like, hey, I am not a cold-hearted bitch. I actually feel this a lot, and I try to avoid that because it's a lot, and it's confusing for me. Um, But, yeah, therapy was a game-changer in being able to accept it and, like, move forward throughout the depression. I think, yeah, I can wholeheartedly agree and attest to that as well. When I was in, in, in the thick of it, I started going to therapy and I think it took me about two and a half years to finally be like, oh, I feel, and it's not that I felt like my, that I started to, I like I started to feel quote unquote, like my old self. It wasn't until maybe year three, three and a half that I was like, oh, I'm back. But I wasn't back to the person that I was in, in the before. You're the a new cloud. person. I came in, I came as a different person, but I think the essence of who I who I am came through. But this time it was a stronger Yovana, a more compassionate Yovana for oh, herself, a more forgiving Yovana. Um, to herself, a more uh, don't take life too seriously. Uh, I feel like that's a big one. Um, and so did you feel the same way too? Like when you were coming back, it was just your essence or did you feel yeah. like, oh yeah, it's the old me again? I, I don't think I, thank God, I'll never feel like the old me. Um, mm-hmm. I think I don't know. It was just kind of like one day I woke up and I was like, you know what? Not super depressed anymore. This is good. <laughs> um, and it just it was just kind of gradually like unthawing almost. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, definitely more compassion for myself and for other people, more accepting of myself, um, understanding that I am not my productivity, mm. which was big. That was huge for me. Um and my worth is not based on what I produce. Um, and me being a person, like, that was a big thing. Like, I think for so long, especially in the depression, I just didn't feel human. Like, I just, I don't know how to explain it, but like, it was very much me opening up to feelings and experiences and allowing myself to feel the ways that I felt. I love that. And I'm happy that you have came out um, of of the thick of it. And that doesn't mean that we don't have episodes um, in between, but it's almost like, and and I don't know if you experience this in therapy, but it's the tools that you end out with. So when you feel it coming or you start seeing the signs, you start being proactive because you know the um and and I I forgot where I read this but it was um it had said something of like depression is not a stagnant state of mind it comes in waves it the does. waves come and go they don't stay stagnant um as a matter of fact it might have been my therapist who said who who shout who out to therapist yeah <laughs> and that has helped me a lot because I remember when I started feeling a depressive episode come on, I was crying in my session. And I and I remember telling her, I don't know what to do. Like, I don't, I don't want to feel this way. And I was getting so anxious 
about going back and it taking another two years. And yeah. she reminded me like, you are strong. You now have compassionate for yourself. You now love yourself. Um, you now accept yourself, like you had said. Um, you are not your productivity. It is okay to rest. It is okay to feel sad. And I think that's something else that we see in society and in social media all the time. It's the best of your version. It's yeah. the happiest of your version. So anyone that you're following, you never see what's behind the scenes. And so innately, you're, you're, there's some type of comparison there because every yeah. person that you're scrolling through, you're like, why are they so happy? Why do they have so many smiles? They are living their best lives and I am not. <laughs> yeah, like why am I with my blanket over my head, like, right? Like I'm in my own comfort, I'm hugging myself. And why am I crying while I'm watching everyone smiling? Um, but I think that has helped a lot is just reminding yourself, you're a warrior, you're compassionate, you don't, you're not your productivity. Um, don't, don't give into the capitalist bullshit on that one. Um, and, <laughs> and ride your wave, like it's okay, ride your wave. Um, but it's not, and as she reminded me, like, it's not going to, I don't think it's ever going to be as bad as what you had at the first time. Um, you might have intense, like, episodes, but it will never be as intense because you didn't have the tools then. You didn't have someone to talk to then. You didn't have safe space um, because of the same thing. Like, when I was growing up, my parents used to be like, oh, that, like, therapy, that's for the white people. Like, exactly. What, and I happening? think also in our communities, especially as women, like, we are not given space to be weak, right? Mm. Or to feel sad or to rest. And so um, this is quote on social media all the time. People say it's um, black women with anxiety and depression don't know that they have anxiety and depression. They just feel like they're failing. And it's very oh. much what I felt like. And so like our communities also in the way that we're raised makes it very hard to one seek therapy, but also like accept that you're sad, accept that you need to rest, accept any of those things. So being able to do that and not feel bad about it, yeah. that was also a big thing. Cause at first, like I would be depressed and I would be in the bed and I'd be like, I and I feel lazy and I feel like I should be doing these things, but no, I don't. That's you know what you bring up a really, really great point because I don't ever remember seeing my mom growing up weak. I remember her always on the go, always showing up for her children, uh, never having breakdowns. Now, whether she cried, you know, once she was like, I'm going to the bathroom and she had her like 15 minute session. Like, I'm pretty sure she did. But you're right. Like, why, why do, especially women of color have to be like, not, not a meat, like matriarch in such a bad way. Like they're the ones who have to lift up a whole family. And I'm not just talking about their immediate family. I'm talking about still everybody in the community, in the neighborhood and everybody, and you're <laughs> holding them all on your back. And it's like, I can't. Um, and I just remember like when I was in the depression, one of my favorite books is Beloved by um, Toni Morrison. And Seth the, talked about wanting to just shut off her memory. Like, why can't I just not? feel mm -hmm. this way like why can't I just stop remembering and when can I rest mm -hmm. and like that's wholeheartedly how I felt I was like look 
can I just have a mental breakdown already so I can get a little bit of rest? Like, can I go to the hospital for like two days and just break down? And I I just, I couldn't. Mm -hmm. It's yeah. I mean, and then that's, and that's the, the empathy that you're giving yourself now of like, it's okay. If I have a breakdown, I don't need, I don't need to go to the hospital. I can have my breakdowns now in my home and my community, AKA my child and my husband, like, they know what's up and they know it's okay. Um, you talk you talk about the community that you have in your home. Do you have other community that that helps support you um with your Asperger's? So um the friends that I had before, you know, we are no longer friends. And so that's mm-hmm. been hard. Um, but a lot of it is just um we're different and not I am like the odd person out like they want to go out and party and like there's no bad blood like I don't feel right any animosity it's just like I'm not the same as you and that's okay and Mm -hmm. so that's a thing um but I actually started working um a couple years ago I was working for a charter in New Orleans and shout out to charter schools because they were really influential in me being able to like really be myself and say like Mm. hey I have autism I have Asperger's I need this from you guys when I'm working or I can't have this and like they were just so accepting of it um and the more that I was able to say like I am this person and I have this going on a magical thing happened where there were like so many other adult women who were like Oh, because you talk so openly about your Asperger's and your struggles. Like I went to get diagnosed because I've always felt these ways and I found out that I have this and I found out. And so it's been this thing that I mean, like I'm the most proud of is that so many people that I've known and I've been able to like influence with my story have also found their identity. Um, And one of our coworkers, she's like, Barbara was in her 50s or 60s and she was like I went and I got diagnosed like I took some tests and I and she had all these neurodiverse diverse things that had like made her feel so many different ways about herself and now she's like a fully grown woman and mm. gray hair and everything and finally meeting herself for the first time look at you Ebony creating your own community um and giving them the space like you ended up providing a safe environment a safe space by being brave telling your story telling your journey letting them letting the folks who work at the at that charter school what you needed to thrive what wasn't necessarily for you and then all of that ended up creating a community where they're like, girl, same. (laughs) I went to go get tested and this is great. So your bravery ended up, and she's probably having the same experience as you, um, your 50 um, 50 plus colleague of meeting herself again, um, now that she has this and being able to navigate it. So I'm glad that, that you were able to find your community with the students, with the faculty and the staff and being okay with letting go of some of the friends that you had in the past because they can't, um, 
they either can or don't want to accommodate for you. And that's, and that's hard because a lot of these people you grow up with um, or you've known them for years. Yes. Some are, you know, your sorority sisters at times, and then they still want to live a certain lifestyle, not honoring your needs and not honoring your, what you need from them. Um, but yet they're always down for you to give, 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 but yeah. they can't meet you not even halfway. Um, exactly. because, yeah. Because like, why can't a girlfriend not go with you to the museum? Can't we please like, go to the museum? Can't we go on ghost tours? I like supernatural <laughs> stuff. So like, I am always, I don't know. And that was, again, shout out to therapy. That was a thing of like being able to let them go. Yeah. Um, we've been friends like 20 years since college. So it was really hard, but like understanding that like, they just are not, they don't serve me and they're not meeting me. And I ended up always feeling empty because I was always giving and I was yeah. never receiving. So again, it goes back to the, we're carrying everything on our back, but who's serving us? It can't exactly. be the glass half empty. I need you to pour into my cup as well. If I'm overflowing yours. So she, yeah, shout out to therapy for letting us know which relationships no longer serve us. And it is sad at times. And you do grieve because at the end of the day, it's still a relationship. It may not be a sexual relationship, but there's still some type of relationship there within. I mean, hello, it's called friendship. You know, exactly. so yeah. So shout out, shout out to you for honoring you, serving yourself finding your community, still trying to find your own community. Um, it's hard as you get it, an, into an adult um, to, to create community at times. Uh, I'm, I go out to networking events here in Chicago because I like, I don't, I, all of my community is either on the West coast or East coast, um, oh. but I live here and I'm like, it out more. Um, but even within that, I have to honor myself because there are just some events that I, my body won't like either physically I can or mentally I'm just not there. And so before I used to get upset with myself, like I need to go because I need to meet people or who knows what chance I might have missed. I don't know who was at that networking event, but they might've been able to help my business scale, whether that's through a new contract or a new colleague or a new collaboration. But you know what, like how you were saying in the beginning, you have to honor your body. And if your body is not okay and your mental state is not okay, you don't have business to be there. Um, and I have a girlfriend who, um, shout out to her, Paulette. She um, is also neurodivergent. And I remember one time I was going to a networking event and I I called her because I was having a full-blown panic attack. Um, and she was like, you know, you don't have to go. And I was like freaking out. Like, what do you mean I can't? What do you mean I don't have to go? Like, I've already, girl, I took the gas here. Like, it was a 30-minute drive. Like, I just have to, I have to. And I was putting all this unnecessary pressure onto myself. And she told me, you need to have a 15 minute check-in plan with yourself. Like if you mm -hmm. feel that, if you feel so strongly about going inside, know that you don't have to stay the whole duration. So mm -hmm. every 15 minutes, check in with yourself, say, Hey, do I feel safe? Do I feel grounded? Do I still want to be here? 
And if you don't want to feel, if you don't feel that you need to be there after 15 minutes, you can just leave. Or if you feel safe, if you feel comfortable, if you feel that you're making the connections you need to, stay another 15 minutes. But don't feel that you need to stay for the whole three and a half hour duration of this event. You can only literally stay for 15 minutes. And I think that in itself has helped me out a lot because when I, it is helpful because when you do have those whether it's a panic attack or just you know you're going into your own head you don't have to stay and i think um like i i mean i don't know but like for women i feel it's like you either do it all or don't do it there is no in between or there can't be baby steps and that was the perfectionism in me like i have to go i have to show i have to give my business card out and she was like girl you really don't you really, really. And what's also helped me is believing and understanding that like whatever it is that is for me, that is meant for me, is not going to miss me. It's going to meet me mm-hmm. wherever it, I need to be or meet me where I'm at. And that has really been beneficial with like, even with networking, because I, um, I'm a freelance editor, I'm a writer, I'm a body contour. I do a lot of things. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I don't always yeah, feel you're like a human. You're 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 multidimensional. That's an that's a whole nother topic for a whole nother day. That's but... a whole nother day. <laughs> and I also have ADHD, which probably contributes to all of this. So but I I don't always feel like going. I don't always want to network. I don't want to do the pop-up shops. And it's like, hey, guess what? Like if it's for you, it'll come to you and it'll be fine. And you're gonna be fine. True. I mean, I think that's very true. I don't Again, it's the capitalism that we were brought up with that you have to go, you have to show up, you have to be your best, and you have to, you know, take all of the opportunities. But if you're taking all the opportunities, you're missing the ones that do align with you, the Mm -hmm. ones that are meant for you. And at the end of the day, you're ignoring who you really are and what your needs are. So to your point, if you're serving yourself, those opportunities are going to come regardless because they're meant for you because you're taking care of you so i love that that's another reframing i love it um so we i want to move on to resources are there any books podcasts um anything other than therapy that you use as a resource to whether it's manage educate etc on aspers um well Okay, so I have been trying to write my book forever, yes. <laughs> and it's it's a work in progress. Um, and so, like Instagram, honestly, has been there are so many communities on, in Instagram, and I'm so grateful for it. Um, so there is like a large autistic community specifically. There is an autistic community for Black women um, that is growing, and um, I don't I'm too old for TikTok. I can't TikTok, but I hear. There are a lot of resources on TikTok. I don't have a TikTok either. I I keep getting told by my younger cousins, like, you just need to get on it already. <laughs> I, can't. I can't do another social media at this point. Um, Thank you. Same. <laughs> I listen to a lot of audiobooks, which is, I guess, another way of therapy for me. But I do. I listen to a lot of memoirs on self-help books. And surprisingly, Paris Hilton. Did not expect to get a lot from Paris Hilton's memoir, but I did. And I didn't know that Paris Hilton has ADHD. So um, 
she went very deep into talking about her brain and how it works and how it's different and being shamed in school and like in her family for the ways that she was, but then being able to embrace like, hey, this is my creativity. This is what's making me successful. This is how I get all these ideas. And I'm multifaceted and I can do all these things and stuff. Shout out to Paris Hilton because I would have never thought any of those things. So like listening to audiobooks, honestly, has been really helpful for me. Um, I'm today years old, finding out that Paris Hilton had ADHD. I had no idea. See, I didn't uh, either. <laughs> it's a really good book. Um, okay, so that's a re so everyone, uh, uh, resources, Paris Hilton's memoir. Um, but you had mentioned audiobooks on self-help. Are there any titles specifically that, that come off the top of your head that you want to share with the audience? Oh, sweet Jesus. Uh -huh. <laughs> if not, no worries. I can always write it inside the summary. So um, there is one that I just recently finished. Um, it's about depression. Um, it's called The Valedictorian of Dying. It's a really weird um, title. But in short, um, the person is, has struggled with depression, for depression her entire life. And so she tries this experimental um treatment where she literally dies for 15 to 20 minutes uh three times a week and it cures her depression really yeah it's pretty interesting it is pretty but interesting she definitely goes into in depth about like her depression and how she felt and like why she was depressed and like just waking up every day wanting to die and i can completely relate to that mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and i think Again, it goes back to being the multidimensional. Like you not only have Asperger's, you have ADHD and you also suffer through depression. Um, it's not just a one label or a one diagnosis type of thing. Uh, same thing with me, right? Like I have PMDD, but I also have um, anxiety. And then I do have my episodes of depression. And so it's not just like a one stop or like you, you get one diagnosis. It's and and yeah. they're all inter i feel like it interweaves yeah yeah um because that pmdd it, it it heightens um the depressive episodes and the anxiety episodes and or anxiety attacks um so yeah they're all kind of interwoven within one another and, and then so, a lot yeah. of times when you have conditions like you will develop depression or anxiety because of your condition so like it all just together so mm -hmm. at this point i just think in the world everybody has anxiety and depression at this point like yeah when are we not yeah i mean there's just so much we have exposure to so much in such a short span of time as a matter as a matter of fact instantly at this point instantly. um so yeah so it only it it makes sense and then and then you have not only access to it instantly but you know you if you have wi-fi and some type of device whether it's a smartphone the the laptop and or even off your tv you can just youtube off tv i mean you have mm -hmm. it in front of you all the time and on instant status so i it, it makes sense why depression and anxiety are, are at an all-time high right now in in addition to like the other factors but yeah just having it um having access to it instantly is what i was mm -hmm. trying I don't think we've ever really healed from like isolation and COVID. Like that was a lot. Like, and we just kind of kept going. So, and then Ukraine and it's, it's just, it's so much all the time. Mm -hmm. And it's, why wouldn't you be depressed? Like if you're not, yeah. I feel like something's wrong with you. 
Yeah. And that's why grounding yourself and doing things that serve you to help you feel safe is so important. And then what and whatever that looks like to you, whatever that looks like to the individual, whether it's prayer, whether it's meditation, whether it's stretching, whether it's, you know, it's it, it looks different for everyone, but it's just very, very important. Breath work is just very important that you find what works best for you. Um, and that can be a multiple, like multiple things that work for you as an individual. I think it's just very, very important to find. And so I I know I try to I try to um, start every morning with some type of groundwork and mm-hmm. it helps me get through the day. And so, yes, excited to hear that you do the same. Um, <laughs> Ebony, we've come to time. Um, oh. We're here. <laughs> we're done. Thank you so, so much for having the courage and being brave to show up to the podcast, to let our listeners know your journey, your story, your experiences, um, your highs and your lows, you know, and at the end of the day, even with the lows, you're still triumphing. You're still showing up for yourself. You're still serving yourself. Uh, You're accepting yourself the self the self love you know you can you you feel it and you see it and i'm just really happy for you that and excited for you to see that you took the steps to get to where you are today um and and you went ahead and and got that diagnosis and and now are moving forward to the best of your abilities and that's the uh, the paracelton audiobooks the- mm-hmm. <laughs> i'm like i'm still i'm still laughing about that because like you said like who would have thought Paris and so now now you know I gotta go listen to the audio you gotta go listen to it like it's full of tea and like it gives you an entirely different perspective and appreciation and respect for Paris Hilton and who she is as a person because she's so multi multi-faceted and you know that that's not what we grew up that's not the Paris we grew up I was gonna say that's definitely not the Paris that I grew up with um I grew up with the daddy's little girl, her and Nikki, uh, causing mm-hmm. havoc and chaos through the Everywhere. streets of LA, through TMZ. Yeah, no. <laughs> and there was so much behind it that we didn't even understand. And a lot of it was ADHD, but a lot of it is trauma. And so you definitely yeah. should read it. Um, I never knew that I would have so much in common with Paris Hilton. So yeah. <laughs> um, Ebony, again, thank you so much. I appreciate you again, telling us your experience. I know that you mentioned that you're working on a book. Is there any way that our audience, our listeners and our viewers can keep up with you? That way they can know the release date of the book and or all the other projects that you're working on because you're multifaceted and we we want to know, we want to keep the tea. You want to keep up the tea with Paris Hilton. We want to keep the tea up with you. (laughs) Listen, I I love serving tea. Um, I'm always (laughs) down to connect. I'm always, available to talk about new diversity so my ig handle is underscore ebony b b e e um and then underscore again feel free to send me a friend request um the book i don't know guys i have adhd i'm trying it's been years we'll see what happens um but yovana thank you for creating this space for women of color to be able to talk about our struggles and i think conversations are healing and being able to give words and perspective to like what you're feeling is very healing. 
Yes, especially for women of color who have been suppressed for so long to not talk about it, or even, you know, you gave us your example with your family and still being hesitant and even ignorant on that aspect. And I talk in my episode, you know, I talked about how I did how I didn't tell my mom about my diagnoses because I, I I knew exactly how it was going to play out. Mm-hmm. Um, I told my dad because I knew he would he didn't understand completely, but he definitely supported. And because I knew I needed to build up the strength to not get as hurt as I knew it was going to be. Um, And so, yeah, it's still, you know, it's great. It's great to find circles, to find community. Um, Like you had mentioned, like healing, like this is healing. You know, I've learned so much from you. um, And now I know certain steps to take forward with um, my neurodivergent colleagues, friends, uh, family members. So again, thank you so much. And everyone that was listening, thank you so much for sticking onto the episode with me and Ebony. I want to thank you so much for listening. I hope you were able to receive the gems of knowledge that were dropped on today's episode. Don't forget to leave a review, five stars, please, and join our online community, Making Lizard Moves on Facebook, as well as Instagram. If you have a question, please feel free to email us at makingleasardmoves at gmail.com. Once again, thank you so much, and I will catch you on the next episode. Hugs, kisses, and cariño familia. Bye.